StuDoesAmerica.com. Use the code Stu10. We'll save you 10%. If you're on YouTube, check it out. YouTube.com slash Stu does America. There, you can, of course, like the show. You can drop a comment below. Uh, we really do appreciate when you do that. Click the bell for notifications and follow the program. Uh, Justin Haskins is going to be here in just a little bit to talk about Dark Future. Uh, his book, along with Glenn Beck, that is out and the thing that we unfortunately face. But we start by doing the Biden whistleblowers. Yes, they are on display. We now know who some of them are. We've been hearing these people uh, bubbling up below the surface for quite some time. And I don't know about you. If I were to give you the one to 10 scale question, one is nothing's going to change from all of this. And 10 is Joe Biden gets impeached and thrown in prison. I've been a one for a very long time on that scale because I just don't think anything good ever happens in the world. Uh, maybe that's a little bit too far, but I, I just don't feel like people ever get held accountable for stuff like this. It just doesn't seem like it ever does happen. And that's a pessimistic view for sure, but I do think it's also been an accurate view most of the time. And lately, over the past couple of days, I don't know, I feel like I've moved to a three or a four. And a good chunk of this is what I want to show you today. This is this testimony in front of Congress talking about this, uh, these Biden whistleblowers. And these people are credible. They are people with really good resumes that seem to have no axe to grind with the Biden administration at all. In fact, maybe the opposite, as we'll show you here coming up. Um, now, of course, this is a Republican-led investigation, and the partisan uh, uh, angle of it is obvious to everyone. I mean, look, if, if this was... Uh, the other way around? I don't know. Would Republicans care? Probably not. Would Democrats be saying the exact opposite of what they're saying now? Absolutely. 100% they would. This is at some level partisan. It is some level politics. But that's not really important at this point. The important thing is what actually happened. And the fact is that because one side of the aisle will not ask any questions, will not follow up on anything, does not care whatsoever to find out what actually occurred here, what crimes were committed, it is left up to Republicans to push these buttons. This is one of the reasons why you elected a Republican House. It's why America did, because it really is one of the few powers that Republicans get with this arrangement. They can't really stop any laws uh, from, uh, from going through, at least most of them they can't. Uh, they can stop some of the laws, I should say, but they can't stop any of the executive orders. They can't stop any of the appointments. The laws themselves, they can usually stop unless Democrats bend the rules or pull a few Republicans over. But generally speaking, it's blocking the worst that the uh, Biden administration can do uh, and also investigations. Those are the two things you get when you win just the House, right? Like you're not going to be able to pass all the bills, all the tax cuts you want to pass and all the bills that you want to pass. You're not going to be able to do that with only the House. But you can get these investigations. And if you use them appropriately, not only does it benefit you politically, but it also benefits the country because people's corruption gets called out for once. And that is a rare thing in our system, unfortunately. Now, Jim Jordan was there. He was leading uh, this group, and he uh, kind of set the stage as to what we were supposed to uh, be looking for here. This is yesterday afternoon. You know whose story hasn't changed? These two guys. Their testimony has been consistent. Throughout, their testimony has been the same. And guess what? Two days ago, an FBI agent confirmed their testimony. Who are you gonna believe? The Justice Department? can't get their story straight, changed three times in 33 days, or these two guys. 
The Justice Department that was found to censor Americans just two weeks ago from the federal court in Louisiana. The Justice Department that said moms and dads are terrorists. The Justice Department that said if you're a pro-life Catholic, you're an extremist. The Justice Department that can't get his story straight are these two guys. Ten years over a decade of experience for each of them. The go-to guys in international tax evasion cases. The A-team when it comes to investigating these matters. All over the world they've done this and who've been consistent throughout. I think I'll believe these guys. I think they're the ones telling the truth. And that is, that is fundamentally what this comes down to. So God bless you guys for the work you've done, the courage you have, and for being here today, stepping forward because you care about equal treatment under the law. That's what's at stake, plain and simple. Now, as uh, Jim Jordan lays that out, he lays it out uh, pretty well, um, the difference between these guys and, and some of these captured agencies that have been saying all sorts of uh, you know, ridiculous things lately. I will say, though, one minor disagreement I would have uh, with Jim Jordan on that is if he's right, if it, what it comes down to is whether you trust these two guys versus uh, these big, uh, you know, the FBI and, you know, IRS and all these uh, different places. If that's what it comes down to, then it's not going to go anywhere. It's a one. Right. Like these two guys might be the most credible people in the world. If all we have is the trust in the word of these two guys, it's not going to go anywhere. We can all hope that it will, but it probably won't. What's interesting to note, though, is there's much, much more than just trusting these two guys. But let's go down the road here for a second of just trusting these two guys. Are these guys credible? Are these, you know, is this essentially a Republican operative who happens to have a job at the IRS and wants to call out the Biden administration. That could easily be possible. Well, uh, Shapley was one of the two uh, whistleblowers, and he was pretty clear that, you know what, this isn't benefiting me at all. There's no benefit from me blowing the whistle on this case, absolutely none. I have no book deal, and the only money that goes into my bank account every two weeks is from my employment for the federal government. So this isn't about the hype. Um, we're not, these, these, I mean, look, these guys are IRS people. They're frankly boring, right? <laughs> you know, this is, there's not a lot of excitement over at the IRS. They're not trying to be excited. They're not trying to be flashy here. They're just, you know, people who work for the government, care about what goes on there, and actually don't want corruption to run wild. And I will say, like, a lot of times we are guilty of this at times. We, you know, I think right now we're kind of doing it at times with the FBI and the CIA and some of these organizations that have been really irresponsible lately. We tend to look at the leadership and tend to look at the, the culture that often does not, uh, does not operate seemingly legally at all or certainly within the bounds of, of good taste. And we kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. We have to remember that there are really good people in all these organizations. And many of them have come out and said, hey, I got a problem with this. You need to know about this. We're, I'm going to be a whistleblower on some of these big issues. There are people who really care. You know, people who work at the IRS, they're not all evil, although I think their, ta their jobs are evil, uh, typically, uh, at the IRS. I, I wish the organization didn't exist at all. But I will say, you know, of course, someone who's sitting there and saying, wait a minute, this is totally different treatment than we give everybody else. This is a problem. I'm going to call it out. That's brave. You know they're going to get death threats. You know they're going to get beat up. You know they're probably never going to get another promotion, at least uh, during this administration. So it is important and it is brave work. And now one of the things we've talked about, which has been most fascinating to me, is the Hunter Biden thing goes through this entire period where we hear so many different things. We look at the laptop, we see all these different messages, all these texts, all these unfortunate photos, all of this going on. And the day after Hunter Biden cuts a deal 
to basically get off from all of this. We then, the next day, get these WhatsApp messages where Hunter Biden is saying, hey, I'm in the room with my dad. He's going to be pissed at you if you don't come through with this payment. How does that happen the day after? It's been really frustrating. Well, we now know uh, from these whistleblowers that they weren't even really able to pursue the WhatsApp messages. You know, with respect to the WhatsApp messages, it was something we clearly needed to follow up on. And, th- and, and that was really one of the major deviations from, in this case, is that, is that investigators asked, and Special Agent Ziegler asked to follow, uh, uh, to take some investigative steps to review that. And it just simply wasn't supported by the prosecutors. So uh, for th- further delving into what that means, uh, I just simply can't do. Mm, yeah, but we got, I can. And I can tell you that this certainly seems like they were blocking uh, the whatever controversy came from this, this wasn't even all the Biden era DOJ. Some of this happened during the Trump era as well. And it seems like agents on both sides of that said, look, this is too much hassle. Either it's too much of a problem, too much of a political problem, or uh, we're just straight out defending our guy uh, when it comes to the Biden administration. We don't know how much of that uh, each ingredient it is at this point. But we do know um, from these whistleblowers that It wasn't just that uh, these investigations were going on, but being blocked. Also, somehow, the Bidens kept getting tipped off over and over and over again when questions were about to be asked. Listen. The FBI, SSA and I were assigned with uh, interviewing Hunter Biden that day. And the day previous, we went to the L.A. FBI field office and asked them to uh, the, the special agent in charge to contact the Secret Service special agent in charge from the L.A. field office at 8 a.m. on uh, the morning of December 8th and tell them that two uh, agents were, were going to approach Hunter Biden to, uh, to in, um, as part of an official investigation. And uh, the night before, all of that changed. And all of that changed because FBI headquarters and Secret Service headquarters coordinated and that uh, and that information had gotten out to uh, everybody the night before. And we can talk about whether it's a highly political investigation and all of those different things. But there's another group of people that was uh, made aware of that the night before, wasn't there? Yeah, that's correct. And that would be the transition team. That's correct. And the transition team is a political operation set up to help the president-elect vet cabinet employees, work on inauguration, do all of those things. I mean, is that your understanding? Uh, Generally, yes. They have any special investigative powers I don't know about? Not that I would know of. Your entire history and uh, working in history with the IRS, you ever worked with a transition team of a president to uh, help set up an interview with a subject of a criminal investigation? I have not. Last question. Did you ever get to interview Hunter Biden? We did not interview him. I mean, that was maybe the most bonkers moment of this entire thing. We've heard rumors of this. We didn't think that it actually happened. But to hear it confirmed that the, the, in the middle of this entire investigation, they never even talked to Hunter Biden. What the hell kind of investigation is that? I mean, I, you get a speeding ticket. You get talked to about it. Uh, every investigation has a conversation, you'd think, with the, pr- with the principal. And, and yet they didn't even bother to ask any questions about any of this stuff. Over and over and over again, we keep seeing the same thing, where there's walls put up, people being told, don't go down that road. Hey, it's no big deal. Let's not get any hassle. We don't want the political heat that's coming from this. It's the exact opposite of what these organizations are supposed to be. And we even see politics getting in the way of the investigation, as Shapley talked about. The Justice Department allowed the president's political appointees to weigh in on whether to charge the president's son. 
after United States Attorney for D.C. Matthew Graves, appointed by President Biden, refused to bring charges in March 2022, I watched United States Attorney Weiss tell a room full of senior FBI and IRS senior leaders on October 7, 2022, that he was not the deciding person on whether char charges were filed. That was my red line. I mean, that's what everyone's red line should be, right? I mean, that pushed him over, but it is, there's so many other red lines that have been crossed as well. Um, and this is interesting because Weiss, of course, was appointed uh, by Trump, and Trump uh, put him in charge, thinking he'd do a good job. But, you know, if you are saying that you are not in charge of who gets in trouble for something like this, who is? I mean, I think everyone thinks it's Merrick Garland. And... You know, th th there's major, major questions to be asked about him as well. Now, the other uh, whistleblower is Ziegler. He was, this is the guy we hadn't really heard of before. We've seen interviews with Shapley previously. Ziegler, not, not as much. And to understand, again, who this guy is, it's important to understand this is not some Republican operative. This is not some hardcore conservative who just has it out for Joe Biden. Listen to him describe who he is. I've recently discovered that people are saying that I must be more credible because I'm a Democrat who happens to be married to a man. I'm no more credible than this man sitting next to me due to my, due to my sexual orientation or my political beliefs. The truth is, my credibility comes today from my job experience with the IRS and my intimate knowledge of the agency's standard and procedures. I was raised and have always strived to do what is right. Although I do have my supporters, others have said that I am a traitor to the Democratic Party and that I am causing more division in our society. I implore you to consider that if you were in my position with the facts as I have stated them, ask yourself if you would be doing the exact same thing. I hope that I am an example to other LGBTQ people out there who are questioning doing the right thing at the potential cost of themselves and others. Guy's a Democrat. He is, as, as he said, part of the LGBTQ community. Uh, and he doesn't mind standing up and doing what's right. Because, of course, for him, it's not about politics. For so many others, it is centrally about politics. And Ziegler went in to describe about how investigators were just terrified, right? Terrified of this process, terrified of bringing these things up, terrified of bringing questions into, the, into uh, their not only to the, the people in the public, but also just to people behind the scenes. And they're not trying to publicize this initially. They're going behind the scenes. They're trying to bring these things up. And over and over again, they're getting slapped down. So eventually you have to be a, become a whistleblower. You know, as I always say, I'm always skeptical of whistleblowers. I, I'm not a big whistleblower guy, especially if you just go directly to the public. I, these guys, though, went to they tried to handle this all privately. They tried to deal with all this privately, and over and over again, they were overruled. Here he is asking about uh, why people couldn't just ask questions. There was an environment when we were interviewing people, when we were interviewing witnesses, where you were afraid to ask questions, questions that could lead to the presidential campaign. And this is after the campaign's over. So questions like that, it was restricted, and I was, it, it, so things like that, were, we were limited to, to talking about. You think this would be leading the news if the roles were reversed? Like, you think if Democrats found a couple of whistleblowers who came out and said, hey, you know, the Trump uh, DOJ is blocking us when we're trying to do our investigations. I mean, we saw some of that during the Trump administration when there was a whistleblower. It dominated the news every single day. They don't care about this at all, though. 
Now, I will say a couple organizations have done that. CBS News, we'll get to, we'll get to them here in, a, in a, a couple minutes. There's been some media interest in this, but not that much. Here is uh, Ziegler now talking about few, uh, other ways that the, uh, um, the uh, investigation was slowed down and at times stopped. I will also note that while the impression has been conveyed by the U.S. attorney in Delaware that he has similar powers to that of a special counsel in this case, free reign to do as needed, that was not the case. It appeared to me, based on what I experienced, that the U.S. attorney in Delaware in our investigation was constantly hamstrung, limited, and marginalized by DOJ officials as well as other U.S. attorneys. I still think that a special counsel is necessary for this investigation. Mm, yes, uh, you are 100% right. Uh, at the very least, that needs to happen. Now, Ziegler also talked to CBS. I mentioned that CBS actually gave some airtime to this. This is the second or third time they've done something like this. And, and, you know, look, they deserve some credit. We bash the mainstream media all the time, and they deserve it almost all the time. Uh, but in reality, here in this situation, at least they're talking about this and bringing this to people's attention. They're one of the only organizations who are doing it, though, I will say. Here is Ziegler on CBS. Did you uncover evidence that President Biden financially benefited from his son's deals? I don't feel comfortable answering that question. Why is that? Anytime we potentially wanted to go down the road of asking questions related to the president, it was, that's going to take too much approvals. We can't ask those questions. And I mean, it created, it created an environment that was very hard to deal with. It's a politically sensitive case. Wouldn't it require additional approvals? Yes, I do understand that, that aspect, but it would be like, well, let's think about it. Let's put that on the back burner. I mean, that's normal human behavior, right? Like when a, in a big story, a big case like this, you're going to, you know, you're going to understand that maybe there's going to be some hesitation to just go down this road. But when you have someone who obviously is not politically motivated here, you'd see uh, maybe this stuff should go forward. Maybe these questions should be asked. Maybe we should actually get the answers that we're trying to get here uh, from, uh, from the principals in this case. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you should at least talk to Hunter Biden. Maybe have a conversation with Hunter Biden about this. Maybe talk to Joe Biden about this. Maybe talk to the aides around them. Maybe find out from, uh, from uh, the, some of these Chinese officials that we're talking about. Bring them in. I mean, is this not a big enough story for you? Really? Corruption at the highest levels of our government? That's not big enough for you anymore? I mean, I know there's a lot going on. I mean, what did the Kardashians do uh, today? I don't know. I'm sure there are real questions that you're really trying to solve with whatever, uh, you know, butt implant Kim just got installed. But can we instead maybe ask important questions about this? Can we find out what the deal is? Because we're at a situation now where we might be a little bit different than legal standards, right? As conservative commentators, I want Joe Biden to be held accountable for this stuff. And I see all this evidence and I'm like, this guy's obviously guilty. But these questions at the very least should be asked. They should be put on record. Every time Hunter Biden walks by anybody, a reporter, he should be constantly harangued about that WhatsApp question. He's not answered one question about the WhatsApp message. How's that possible? Do you think do you think Donald Trump Jr. would, ha would already be uh, stalked by reporters and have answered a question about that? Of course they would. This is all the media would be talking about until these questions were answered. And now our media is just like falling asleep for the most part. It is shameful. And look, you know, look, that one to 10 scale I started this with, with one being nothing and 10 being, you know, Joe Biden gets impeached and goes to prison. I think I'm up to a three or a four here. There is definitely something going on. 
we know money was moved. Millions of dollars in this case were moved uh, to the Bidens from corrupt companies outside of this country. We know that Hunter Biden, at the very least, was using his dad's name, at the very least, to try to manipulate other people into giving him money. If that's the case, if that's what happened, Hunter Biden should be nowhere near state dinners. And the president of the United States should have to denounce his actions. And then we'll move this investigation farther because I don't believe for a second he didn't know. We know they talked about this stuff. We know Hunter Biden was utilizing his father to get more money. What we don't yet know is how well this all ties together in a nice legal bow. But man, if we had, if we had journalists who actually cared about the truth, we'd know already. And I hope some of them wake up and realize their job is not to protect Joe Biden. That's not your gig. Your gig is to inform the American people. And we need to know. Genucel is the best in skincare, and they have extended your chance to get their most popular package featuring beautifully curated skincare essentials for life outside in the summer sun. Now, Genucel's limited time summer essentials package includes their one-of-a-kind ultra retinol super moisturizer with a powerful plant extract. Uh, now, this is something that's really, it's like a retinol alternative that can deliver the results that you want without the harsh side effects, and it's perfectly safe to use in the summer sun. Uh, right now, you can get GenuCell's classic skincare therapy for under-eye bags and puffiness that will get you compliments wherever you go. I know uh, I've got family members who've bought this, friends who have bought this. We've been giving it as gifts. This is awesome. It, it, results uh, are, are guaranteed. Uh, so check that out as well. There's no risk here. GenuCell.com slash stew makes a great gift. Uh, you can get your GenuCell Summer Essentials package right now for over 65% off. And just for the summer, every subscription order includes a customized summer spa gift box absolutely free. For one more week, uh, every Summer Essentials package includes their nourishing vitamin C serum for a visibly clear complexion. Don't wait. Go to GenuCell.com slash stew. GenuCell.com slash stew. It's G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash stew. I want to bring in Justin Haskins. He is the co-author of Dark Future, along with our own Glenn Beck, uh, uncovering the Great Reset's terrifying next phase. And uh, the book, of course, is the number two selling book in America. Congratulations, uh, Justin, for that. Although pretty stupid to release it against a K-pop book. We're coming for you, K-pop. <laughs> the whole industry, we're coming for you. Is that part of the I will say that could easily be part of a dark future. The more K-pop we uh, get, I don't I just don't understand it. Well, you know, it's either that I, I, I think you're right. I think we may want to lean into this, actually. And I, I'm trying to convince Glenn to do the next book entirely on K-pop. Um, <laughs> but so far, I haven't been able to convince him yet. He wasn't he didn't even know what it was until this morning, I think. So. Yeah, he was like, oh, what is this BTS? And I'm like, look, I don't I couldn't I couldn't I don't know anything about BTS either. But I do know the name and I do know it's pretty much of a cultural phenomenon of some sort. So I'm not surprised, yeah. I suppose, that you finish behind them. Of course, The New York Times said you finished behind them and every other book that's ever been released apparently uh number 12 is that right on the uh, new york number, times number 12 number 12 what's mate what's amazing about this is that the last book that glenn and i did together the great reset was far and away number one no one was even remotely close to it this is pre k-pop being number one yeah um and the new york times listed us as number 12 that time on the first week as well so this is clearly their slot 
to just put in all of the books that they don't like the first week they come out. They just slide them right into number 12. So we were number 12 now two times in a row, even though we were much better off. But what can you do? Yeah. I mean, that's what you expect. It's right? amazing because, you know, back in the day, I remember when we first started releasing books and it's always been a tilted list. Like this is not a new observation from conservatives who whine about the New York Times list. I mean, I always cared about BookScan. BookScan is the one that actually tells you the actual numbers of copies sold. Um, but, you know, New York Times, you know, has some prestige or at least used to. And it was always tilted. But I remember like this happened when we were um, going up. I think it was against a Stephen Colbert book. It was one of the first I think it was Glenn's first number one uh, bestseller. And it came out and, like we were ahead of the Colbert book as far as sales went. But it was close. Like, you know, it was a few thousand copies and they put Colbert above us and we were number two. And I was like, oh, this is so annoying. They have completely abandoned caring about book sales. Like, this list is just, here are the books that we like. And uh, this one, Glenn Beck, we don't like, so he's going to be number 12. They've abandoned even any factual basis for this list. Yeah, yeah. It's so, it's so, fr- what makes it so frustrating is it's not even remotely close. Like, like, the, like the, the gap between us and the number two book where we should have been is like we were twice as much as that book. I think we sold three times as much as the book that they put at number three. And somehow we end up at 12. We can't even crack the top 10 anymore, <laughs> which I don't. It's like, can you at least throw me number nine? Uh, can you at least give me that? No, I can't even get that out of him. It's it crazy. It's just infuriating. But anyway, congratulations on actually selling Thank a you. lot of books. I, I want to talk about <laughs> a little bit more about the actual book here, because um, one of the things as I've been going through it is interesting in that the dark future that is proposed in this book is not actually sort of proposed by these these elite forces. They're not saying, like, hey, we have some good ideas here and here's how we think we can improve things. The way it's presented often is that it's this natural evolution of humanity. And whether you like this idea or you don't, it's coming because you can't stop it. It's, it is a, a foregone conclusion that this dark future, they don't call it a dark future, I'm calling it a dark future, Glenn's calling it a dark future, you are, but they don't call it that. But they do say that it's basically inevitable, and I don't know, that adds to the creepiness factor quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, what they're really Klaus Schwab, uh, the head of the World Economic Forum, a guy we've talked about a lot with the Great Reset and ESG and all of this. He's one of the masterminds behind this. And uh, he's a futurist. He likes technology. He he spends a lot of time talking about it, thinking about he's been writing about it for many, many years. He is a futurist and he believes kind of like Glenn, who's been a futurist for a long time as well, that a lot of these changes are going to happen, that artificial intelligence is going to change a lot, that quantum computing and advancements in supercomputers, that's going to change a lot. The the 5G and six, eventually 6G technology and all these other things, central bank, digital currencies, all this stuff is going to change the world. The question is how And that's really the difference. It's not so much that I think that these technologies are or or Glenn. It's not that we think that these technologies are, are, you know, some devious plan in and of themselves. It's that the World Economic Forum, the Biden administration and people like that want to twist the technology design it and make sure that the whatever comes out of this fourth industrial revolution that's emerging is slanted in their favor and is transforming society in the way that they want to see it transform. That's really what this book is all about, is showing you the game plan for transforming society through these new technologies. It's not really 
showing that they're trying to build these supercomputers for this specific purpose. It's more like they see the technology coming and they want to design it to make sure that it gives them the outcome that they're looking for. And this is a smart tactic, right? Like, I mean, uh, this is, uh, it's, it's not stupid. These people are not stupid. They're looking at this and they're saying, we want to protect the power that we have. We want to expand it in the future. And this is how we're going to go about that. Talk a little bit, a bit about the, the second wave of human evol evolution. And, and this is kind of how I got here, because you get to that point of thinking of they look at evolution as this thing that happened and it was going to happen anyway. And, and, and humans would progress through this uh, this whole path. And they see this as a, a whole new idea, this this whole second wave of, of evolution for humans that's going to happen. It's a foregone conclusion. And they want to put their finger on the scale. Yeah. So the, the fourth industrial revolution, this idea of this being the fourth industrial revolution, what really differentiates this industrial revolution in their minds from the third industrial revolution, which is the information age, the creation of the Internet, really all of the modern technologies that we think of as being modern today. That's that's the third industrial revolution. The difference between the third and the fourth industrial revolution is the interconnectedness between these technologies and people and what virtually every futurist that I read, that I talked to, that I, that I watched speeches, uh, people giving speeches from Klaus Schwab to libertarians, it didn't matter. Um, even Glenn Beck, you know, people like that who've been talking about this for a long time, they all have the same opinion of what's going to happen in the, in the very near future. And that is that our technology is going to increasingly become uh, more connected to people in a in a in some cases very physical way we're actually going to be connecting ourselves into the metaverse in some fashion we're going to have not just wearable technology but perhaps even implantable technology that these are the kinds of things that davos is expecting will happen and so the question is um, how are, how can they use those technologies? How can they make sure that if our world is existing on the Internet more and more and more or in these digital spaces through the metaverse or um, through a variety of other formats, even something that we might, like I said, implant into our bodies, which sounds crazy, but virtually every futurist in the world thinks that that's coming. What 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 does that world look like? And they're trying as hard as they can to make sure that the rules for those things are a certain way. And so that the outcome of that technology is more, they say it'll be more equitable and diverse mm -hmm. and inclusive and all of this. But when you actually read the details, you realize it's just let's centralize more power and control in the hands of the ruling class elites, right? Um, but it is creepy just in and of itself, regardless of how that technology is going to be designed. Um, but I, at, when I first came into all of this, I was really skeptical of that kind of thing. I just didn't think people would ever want to sign up for it. Yeah. But I got to be honest with you, after after watching enough of these uh, presentations and speeches and reading these books and stuff, I kind of can see where they're coming from. I actually think it is entirely possible that maybe not in the next 10 years, but maybe in the next 20 or 30 or 40, you will have people connecting themselves with devices in a much more intimate way, maybe not plugged into their brain or something, but in a more intimate way than they do now, yeah. simply because 
the advantages to that is are just going to be so incredible that if you don't do it, you'll basically be like the Amish and nobody's going to want to be that. If you want to survive in the modern world, you're going to have to do it, I think. You're leading me to this to my last question, which basically was like, is there any chance that we resist this stuff? And, and, and this is how I got there today. You know, you mentioned uh, you're going to be intimately connected. I saw a story about AI and how now a the people are using AI to create essentially Instagram influencers that are not real. And so they're, they're basically creating these perfect looking women who are going to these incredible locations in bathing suits, just like real Instagram influencers, except they don't have to find the people. The people don't have to watch their diet. They don't have to go to the gym every single day. They just look amazing just by a couple of words being typed in. And as I'm looking at this, apparently you can make AI women look very, very good. These, these They're very good looking. And it's like, <laughs> there's no way the American people are gonna resist this. They're gonna, they're gonna yeah. see this as perfect and with no work, and they're all just gonna fall in love with it. Is there any way, we got about one minute, is there any way we can resist this? I mean, I, I think that's an open question. I think what we know for sure is that whatever technologies are coming, and however connected we are to them, we need to make sure that embedded at their foundation, designed into their programming, is the, the sort of mainstay American traditional values that we all think are really important. Personal liberty, personal responsibility, equality under the law, basically the Bill of Rights. And if we don't do that, then there's no chance this is going to work out well. There's zero <laughs> chance. Whatever chance there is with, with all those things designed the right way, it's probably not great. But it's terrible if Davos is the one designing it. So we have to make sure that freedom is at the center of all of this stuff. Um, and right now, that's not happening. So that's why we wrote this book, and that's why we need people to read it. Yeah, that's the opportunity, right? Wake up right now. Try to push this stuff through. The book is called Dark Future. Uncovering the Great Reset's Terrifying Next Phase. It's the uh, number two book in America and also in the New York Times, number 845. Congratulations <laughs> uh, to Justin Haskins and, of course, Glenn Beck. It's a great book, and you should definitely check it out. Get it wherever you get your books. Justin, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Stu. A lot of people bash polls. Here, we like to learn from them. And what polls do is they tell you something general. They tell you generalities pretty well. They tell you specifics pretty poorly sometimes. Uh, they're not exact. They don't tell you the exact final score, but they can give you a general sense of the game. And that is really important. Now, of course, national polls are less important than uh, state polls when you're talking about a primary, especially. And honestly, before, let's say now, there's not that much value. You get a general sense. Look, we all know Donald Trump is in first place. We all know Ron DeSantis is in second place. We all know there's a muddle below that for the rest of the field. But we're now starting to get a sense from these early states, some polls, where we can get a sense of where those states stand. Now, of course, Iowa's going to kick the thing off. We're going to go to New Hampshire as a second state. We have a brand new poll from New Hampshire today. And uh, Donald Trump, of course, does lead, as you would probably guess, 37 percent of the vote for Donald Trump. Ron DeSantis, as you would probably guess, is in second, 23 percent of the vote. Tim Scott is in third in New Hampshire at 8 percent. Chris Christie and Doug Burgum. Yes, Doug Burgum, the North Dakota governor who's been buying people, uh, or giving them gift cards for donations in this weird scheme where he takes in a $1 donation and gives people a $20 gift card just to get them on the rolls because you need 40,000 individual donors to get on stage at the debate. Uh, 
Uh, he, that is uh, Doug Burgum at 6%, which is by far the best poll I've seen him with. Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley at 5%. And then Mike Pence at 1%, Will Hurd at 1%, Asa Hutchinson, Francis Suarez at 0 and anybody else you can think of also at basically Zero. I think there's 1%. Maybe Larry Elder has one. I don't know why they wouldn't include him in that, but that's how this looks. Now, let me give you the, uh, the change, the way this has looked, the change uh, in the polls. And you can kind of see that, you know, go back to the beginning of 2021, Trump had a huge lead. Um, that narrowed right around the election. Uh, and after the election where uh, uh, Ron DeSantis uh, took the lead for a little bit and then gave it back in April of this year, that has been uh, right around flat since then. Donald Trump come back to the, came back a little bit to the pack in this particular poll. 14-point poll, honestly, for uh, Ron DeSantis right now is probably good news. Uh, he's been down by 20 and 30 in some of these polls, especially nationally. He's been facing a larger deficit than that, a 14-point Swing is not that big of a diff- uh, deal at all, honestly, at this point, without, you know, before debates and, and everything else go on. So it's pretty good news for Ron DeSantis in that poll. If you look a little bit d- uh, deeper in the poll, you can find some other interesting nuggets here in that uh, second choice. This is interesting because, if OK, you, like, say you're a Donald Trump person. Who's your second choice if that person goes away? Um, and on, uh, the number one, as far as second choice goes, is Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy, both tied at 18 percent. Tim Scott showing up again there at 12 percent. Scott uh, looks pretty good. This is a good poll for Tim Scott in New Hampshire. Mike Pence is at 11 percent. Really a bad poll for him because he was only at 1 percent in the poll. But he, he's showing that some people are like, all right, if I don't get my top person, maybe I will go to someone like Pence. Larry Elder is at 5%, which is, that's a, a, I would say, an encouraging number for Elder, who really doesn't get talked about all that much. Though, again, Larry Elder is a good communicator. He, he would be another guy who would do well on a debate stage. Uh, then you got Haley, Burgum, Christie, and everything, everybody else after that. The, the next biggest one is who are you definitely not going to vote for? And this is an important question because it, it shows you have growth up to this point, typically. If people are saying, I'm definitely not going to vote for you, those people are typically lost, obviously. Not always, I will say. People have a way of changing their mind late on. But by far, the overwhelming leader in this one is Chris Christie. 35%, and I mean, basically doubling everybody else. They, 35% of the voters say, there's no way I'm voting for Chris Christie. Mike Pence is second on that list. You want to be top on this list. 20% for Mike Pence. Donald Trump at 18%. This is going to be a little against the green, but I think that's actually a good number for Donald Trump. You know, people have really strong opinions about Donald Trump. And if the quote unquote never Trump uh, contingency in New Hampshire is only 18%, that's actually not a bad number for him. Ron DeSantis gets a great number here, though. Only 4% said they would not vote for Ron DeSantis. That's very good. And you go down for the rest of people like Nikki Haley. This is the path for Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, um, you know, uh, Tim Scott, these, these types of guys who really have no opposition. There's, no, there's almost no um, uh, contingency at all for people who just like, I will never vote for Nikki Haley under any circumstances. And that points to someone who might be um, tenable uh, as a candidate for um, VP, right? Someone who doesn't have a lot of passion, but not a lot against them as well. You'd see it someone like Mike Pence or Chris Christie would not be the someone you'd point to in that particular case, at least in New Hampshire. Now, of course, Iowa has a way of changing New Hampshire, right? Um, maybe not all the way, but if you're running big in Iowa, you win big in Iowa, you get the momentum there. Maybe you can turn that into an advantage as well in New Hampshire. You have to look at this race and say, couple of things. Number one, Donald Trump is the overwhelming favorite. I've been telling you that 
from long before, even when uh, Ron DeSantis was leading in some polls, I still said Donald Trump is the overwhelming favorite. Why? Look, he's the most famous person in the world. He's got a floor of probably 30 or 35 percent in most of these uh, states. Uh, so he has a very you have a very narrow window to defeat him. It's a large field. It's going to get broken up in a bunch of ways. And there's a lot of people who are really loyal to Donald Trump and just aren't going to go away from him no matter what you say. But there is a path. And I don't think places, people like DeSantis or Scott or anybody else in this field should say, I'm done. Nothing can happen in this race. I, I just going to hand it to Donald Trump. That's not the state that we're in. These polls don't show that, especially in these early states. Um, uh, these polls don't really show that this is a one man race. This is a uh, tier one has one guy in it, and that's Donald Trump. Tier two has one guy in it, that's Ron DeSantis. And then there's a bunch of other people trying to be that third person right now. Maybe it's Vivek Ramaswamy, maybe it's Tim Scott, maybe it's Nikki Haley or one of these other candidates, but there's still a long time to go. And we'll say this, though. I've been saying for a while, there's a long time to go. It's still early. It's not really early anymore. The, the, the first debate's in a few weeks. We are in the middle of this. This is happening. Red alert, boys and girls. This is actually going to happen. We are in an election, and now we just have to hold our breath in terror for the next 18 months. We spend a lot of time covering companies that have gone awry. Obviously, Bud Light was the big example recently. Disney. Oh, we've got, you know, uh, I don't know. What, what is going on with Snow White? Uh, it's a bizarre, bizarre story. But we don't spend a lot of time, maybe not enough time, talking about companies that actually do like this country, that actually do love this country, that actually don't hate you. Uh, Grip6 is a great company like that. They're, they're from Utah. They sell in the United States, but their products are kind of in demand all around the world. But they source almost everything they use to make their products right here in America. They have belts that are minimalist. So they're not sort of jutting out of your shirt. Uh, they have, uh, they're all customizable. You can do laser etched designs, logos, flags, all sorts of cool stuff on your belt buckle to make it personal. Uh, they're also available in carbon fiber, so you're not setting off the metal detectors at the airport. They have really cool uh, wallets as well, socks too. You're going to love their stuff, and they're going to love you too, because they love you. They love this country. They're Grip6. Grip6.com slash stew. Use the code stew and save 15%. Why not? Why would you want to save the 15%? You might as well. Use the code stew. Save yourself 15%. Grip the number 6.com slash stew. Grip6.com slash stew. Get 15% off today. Well, as you all know, today is National Hot Dog Day. And uh, perhaps you also know that hot dog is my favorite meat. I love hot dogs. Uh, I love them in buns. I love them outside of buns. I love them with baked beans. I just like hot dogs. It's the best you know, mess meat there is, without question. Is it? So to all of you who, like me, are celebrating uh, National Hat, Hot Dog Day. Hot Dog uh, Day. Congratulations mm-hmm. to you, and may there be many, many more hot dogs served in our wonderful land. I, I, I have so many questions. First of all, uh, who made him do this? Uh, secondly, what do you mean hot dogs are your favorite meat inside your buns? What are you talking about? That is, that's not something you should say. Number three, could that, is that even a real video? I feel like it has to be AI. We were just talking about AI. Maybe someone just write, write the, produce the worst possible Mitt Romney video, and that's just what AI spit out. I think that's possible. But let me give you the most important thing about that video. Right now, right now, is the time we need someone to step up and take out Mitt Romney in a primary election. We need someone. 
a top notch. Is it Sean Reyes? I would think that would be a good one. Somebody needs to step up because this opportunity to take him out as a Republican uh, candidate is going to fade away very quickly. So please, somebody step up. Head over to StuDoesMerch.com for your anyone but Joe Biden in 2024 merch. It's available now. Use the code Stu10 and save yourself 10%. It's StuDoesMerch.com. We'll see you tomorrow.